1: planned on having some Mel Kuyper Jr. from ESPN sound bites here from his pre draft conference call he had, but I really want to open it up right now since we have Paul Gutierrez. I want to open it up, get some calls and text in. We got plenty of texts 69187 keyword RR and also our listener line 702 365 9200. The question I threw out there at the top of the show what characteristics should Dave Ziegler and company be looking for with their early round picks? And my answer was alpha dog mentality, playmaking ability, and intelligence of situational football. And I really had an emphasis on on playmaking ability because I don't think that the Raiders make enough plays. And I even pointed out Max Crosby and apparently we had Kevin call in, but he didn't hold on. And so hopefully he calls back. That'd be great. And I tried to clarify myself, clarify myself when I said Max Crosby's name, because I don't want anyone to think that I'm slighting Max Crosby because he is fantastic. He's doing everything, but he's the only one. But even with that being said, teams can game plan against one guy. Right, So one of the things I was excited about when Chandler Jones joined the show or joined the, the, the team was the fact that if you go back and look at the history of Chandler Jones, how many strip sacks he's had. And that was one of the things I remember personally asking him during the summer last year. Hey, man, you, you have an art. You're really good at creating those strip sacks. Is that something you could bring to the team and kind of show the guys? He said, yeah, I'm going to do that. Well, it didn't really happen in 2022. A lot didn't happen in 2022. The Raiders as a team didn't create enough plays. That's what I'm talking about. I'm never ever going to dog Max Crosby. He had 12 and a half sacks. He gave you everything he had, right? But when you don't have a bunch of playmakers on that side of the ball, you can game plan against a guy. You can give Max 12 and a half sacks. Guess what? The rest of the season, teams are going to eat. And that's exactly what they did. And Max did everything he could. He had a a, a kick, a a field goal block. He had a couple, uh, you know, forced fumbles, I think three, came up with a, a, you know, a, a recovery or two. That's fine, but I'm just talking about, in general, consistently making big-time plays. The Raiders don't have that, and, and Max could only do so much. So to Kevin, and if you want to call back, that's cool. We'll, we'll take your call at 702-365-9200. You've got to have more, and you've got to have more guys because if more guys are, are making plays, guess what? Max is going to make more plays because they won't be able to just key in on him. That's, that's the whole point. The Raiders created, what did we say, DeMond, in the in the commercial break? 13 turnovers as a team? 13 turnovers, seven fumble recoveries, and six interceptions as a team. When I'm talking about making plays, I'm talking about making plays. I mean, hell, Tariq Woolen for Seattle, a rookie last year, had six interceptions himself. Six interceptions in the league high. It was a tie for
0: five when it comes to forced fumbles. I don't know if these are, you know, strip sacks or just tackles in the open field, but Alex Highsmill from Pittsburgh and Hassan Reddick from Philly both had five. That's the highest. For right. forced fumbles. But that's still, that's a lot. Right. Chandler Jones is third all-time in a single season. It was only 2019, so you were correcting your what I'm saying. But he yeah. had eight
1: that season. Exactly. And Chandler Jones is really good at that. I mean, if you go back and look at his whole career and look at the numbers, he is a guy that consistently got to the quarterback and not only sacked them, but strip-sacked them. And that was something that even going back to Khalil Mack and his Defensive Player of the Year stats, he had a ton of strip-sacks. He was the game-closer. How many times did Khalil Mack and Raider Nation, you know your history of the team. How many times when he was with the Raiders and won Defensive Player of the Year did he close out games because of a play he made? When you had to have that play, when it was third and nine, and you had to have a a, a quarterback go down and go down hard, who came through? Five deuce. More times than not, he found a way. Hell, I can recall the game at the Coliseum against the Panthers and Cam Newton where he wrecked the game himself. The game that Derek Carr messed up his finger. Remember, went to the locker room and came back. Cam Newton had a pick six in that game. Or not, excuse me, Khalil Mack had a pick six in that game. He had a sack at the end, a strip sack at the end to, to secure the victory. I mean, go back to the game in Denver when he had, what, five sacks himself when the Raiders were losing at one point? He had five sacks himself on who, Brock Osweiler? I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about plays, again, never going to slight Max Crosby. If there's one dude that's busting his ass, it's Max Crosby. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying in general, they need more playmakers and max is doing everything he can he's got he's got the key to the city right there's no doubt about that there would never be a slight to max crosby but kevin please feel free to hit us back would love to hear from you 702-365-9200 again my my characteristics alpha dog mentality playmaking ability and intelligence in situational football got to have it got a text from uh, eric from jacksonville I'd have to say my top three would be coachability, work ethic, the system that they were in. Were they the reason for the team's success, or did they have players around them that made them productive? I put coachability first because you can be the hardest worker, but if you can't learn, then it's wasted. That's Eric in Jacksonville. Thank you for the text. I do appreciate you. And I'll say this. Your work ethic is going to go a long way, right? Your work ethic shows that you're coachable. You know what I mean? If you have that strong work ethic and you're ready to be like Max Crosby, the first guy in, the last guy out, you're going to be coachable because whatever coach is going to tell you, you're going to work to figure it out. Whether you get it on the first try or you get it on the 55th try, you're going to do it. So I think that they kind of go hand in hand, but I understand what you're talking about. You don't want someone that's going to go in there and, look, I say it all the time, you don't want someone to go in there and say, oh, well, this is how I've always done it. This is how we're going to do it. No, it's not. You're going to do it the way that we say do it because this is how it's supposed to get done, right? I mean, that's, that's just what it. That goes back to what Eric is saying when it comes to coachability.
0: Uh, no. At first I was leaning towards your side, but then when you said, hey, that's the way I've always done it, then that kind of does fall into where I see where he means by coachability mm-hmm. because you could have the guy, oh, you know, we want you to do 20 reps, I'll do 23. Right. But if you do 23 wrong, right. it doesn't matter if you're no, working exactly. hard. Exactly,
1: yep. That's
0: no, true. So, I mean, that's, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. Rob in Oakland hit us, and I always like when uh, Rob hits us up, really good text, 69187, keyword r and I agree with the six characteristics you and DeMond brought up. I'd add these three, specifically tailored to the defense. One, physical freak, whether size, lower body strength, arm length, agility, or quickness. We need to improve the athleticism on defense. Two, self-motivated. Some players need a winning environment to thrive. Right now, I don't think we can offer that to this class of rookies. The high picks need to be self-starters that will thrive anywhere, guys like Khalil Mack and Max Crosby. And I'll say this. I'll pause after number two when it comes to Robin Oakland's text. Is that Jalen Carter? Is he a self-starter? Or is he a guy that I've brought up many times that, well, even at Georgia, needed a babysitter, right? I mean, that's that's Nicobe Dean, uh, my guy Jordan Davis. Those guys were basically his right and his left side. All right, all right, Jalen, we got to go do this. All right, Jalen, we got to do that. All right, so was he a self-starter? Maybe not. But when he got on the field, he was a game wrecker, right? So I mean, it's it's kind of like the, it's kind of like you pick your pick your poison.
0: That's the part for me. Where also I know that we put all of this, you know, pressure and expectation on these guys. But who was the most up and ready guy at 19 when you're in college, or 20 years old right. when you're in college? It's not easy. So sometimes it's about just let the guy mature. Where when that when you see the tape. And if you can just look at the tape and say, "Yo, that guy's a dude. He's a dog. He gets it done. He's a game record." Mm-hmm. I'll take that. I'll take that. That risk. If all we got to do, what are we talking about? Maturity issues when it comes with just anybody else in normal life, or yeah, when you're probably about 25, 26, twenty-six, you're not doing the things that you were doing when you were twenty, twenty-one. No, that's, I'll I, take those. I'll take that risk.
1: I I, I understand. I, I'm not mad at that, you know. And that's that's part of growing up. But that's also something that you have to identify. And this staff has to identify, Can that guy? be that dude who maybe in a year or two matures and is a self-starter, like Rob is saying, or is it a guy that you're going to have to hold his hand all the time, right? If he's one of those guys, I mean, I I, I use the example of Des Bryant all the time, right? The Cowboys hired a babysitter for him when he got to Dallas at some point. I think he matured out of that where he didn't really need that guy. But then by the time he matured out of that, he was also being ran out the league. (laughs) So, you know, he had a few injuries and then he was ran out the league. So will that, will that click for him sooner rather than later? I think that's the question. And getting back to Rob's text, really good one. Number three, and this is one that I agree with Rob 100%, vocal leadership. This has been missing for a generation. The defense is starving for an alpha leader they can look to for direction and strength when the game gets rough. That's Rob in Oakland. And that's the one thing you hear all the time, Demon. And we talk to a lot of these players. A lot of them, when you say, hey, you know, what's your leadership like? Oh, well, I'm not, really a, I'm not very vocal. I'm just a kind of lead by example. Well, somebody's got to be that vocal, dude. Right? At some point, I'm not saying that's anyone's real responsibility. Like, you have to be that guy. But it's been a real long time to Rob's point that the Raiders have had that dude who could just step up and be that vocal leader. And what immediately comes to my mind is Justin Tuck. When Justin Tuck was with the Silver and Black and Khalil Mack and C.O. Moore were having a sack celebration against the Chiefs on Thursday night football with no victories under their belt. They're celebrating a, a sack, and Kansas City's lining up about to snap the play, and it's about to be, a, you know, it's about to be a, a, an offsides on the defense. And Justin Tuck calls timeout and then cusses those guys out on the field. They haven't had that dude, right? I mean, and that's just one example that pops in my head right now because I can see it like it was just yesterday. But Rob is right. They've got to have a vocal leader as well. You, you can be lead by example all you want, but at some point, man, someone's got to be that dude that's not afraid to step up and say something and tell someone about themselves. Got to oh, have that guy.
0: Here's a great example that I like to go to. Devon Diablo, his rookie year, where it's, hey, man, I don't, know about, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not used to losing. He's saying that when he's got his day at the podium, you know, after, after a loss. And you can say, hey, that's somebody who's being vocal. He's saying it to the media, putting it out there. I don't know about the rest of the guys in the locker room, but I'm not okay with leading. That's a rookie that, for me, I thought that was bold. This guy's a rookie, and he's calling out like the other guys in the locker mm-hmm. room about not being okay with losing. So I understand where people say, hey, I want someone to be a vocal leader. But to me, that can, and that also goes um, that's kind of opposed to being a self-starter. Because if you're a self-starter, I don't think you really need to be that that vocal leader but to me it it comes it picks and chooses when you want it because Justin Tuck guy who's won a Super Bowl he knows what mm-hmm. it takes to get there yeah. but then if Devon Diablo is that guy where man he was really getting in us about that same situation does it still ring true does it still have that same right. effect
1: no and it might not but at least he's not afraid to do it i and i can respect that Josh Jacobs is is a vocal leader he'll ste- he'll speak up and say what he's got to say right and i i think he matured into that so everyone maybe not just come in as a rookie and as that guy but at some point you you know you do need that in your locker room. You need that vocal leadership. You need that one that's willing to step up and say, "Hey, this is not how we do it here." This the, you know, and, and people get on Tom Brady when he's going up and down the sideline and he's barking and he's throwing tablets and I'm not saying that that's 100% correct, but at least I know that he cares. Right? <laughs> at least I know that he cares and sometimes if if he's going to be pissed off, maybe the guys maybe the troops will follow him. I'm okay with that. I'm all right. I mean, you know me, I'm loud. I have no problem being loud. Some people don't like that. Right? I don't mind being loud in the hallway. I mean it, it it just kinda is what it is. That's how we get down. But some people don't like that. Some people don't like that kind of that kind of leadership. I mean, I think if you're messing up, you're messing up. Like it is what it is. Let's just call it, let's call a spade a spade. But again, everyone doesn't always operate and, and, and perform that way, so you gotta figure out who does and who doesn't, and that's where your vocal leadership needs to step up and know exactly what they can say and what they can't say. Right? Because at some point, some people are just like I said, they're not built like that and they might just shut down. If they shut down then well, then what? <laughs> <laughs> then you're losing all around, right? So you don't you don't want that. So uh, Raider Nation, hit us up, 702-365-9200. Also, the don'tbebroke.com, text line 69187, keyword R&R. One more quick text from Mailman Raider that will take a break. Q, I'm looking for those high-motor, never-give-up guys. The lead-by-example. <laughs> leadership voc- leadership vocally, but back it up on the field. We tried with the leadership in the past, but they were their play didn't show up. And we need that playmaker. The, the see ball, get ball. I need a dog to make plays. Give me a dude. That's Mailman Raider. Definitely appreciate that. Keep those calls and texts coming. 314 is the time. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.
0: You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio.
1: We do have sounds from Mel Kuyper Jr. from ESPN coming up, I promise. Just got this from NFL Communications. 17 draft prospects to attend the 2023 NFL Draft presented by Bud Light. Of course, it kicks off prime time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on Thursday, April 27th, from Kansas City. Damon, I'll ask you this. And Raider Nation, as we're taking your calls and texts, I'll ask you this as well 702 365 9200. Don't be Text line 69187, keyword RNR. I know we've been looking for characteristics that you're looking for in the first couple picks that the Raiders make, but I'll ask you this about the guy going to be in the green room guys that we'll have an opportunity to talk to, and I'll get an opportunity to talk to most of these guys as I'm there in Kansas City starting on the 25th of April preparing for the draft. I'm going to go through the 17 guys. You tell me which one of them or two of them the Raiders select April 27th. Jordan Addison, wide receiver from USC, will be in the house. Will Anderson Jr., linebacker from Alabama. Brian Branch, defensive back from Alabama. Jalen Carter, defensive lineman from Georgia. Zay Flowers, wide receiver from Boston College. Christian Gonzalez, cornerback from Oregon. Paris Johnson Jr., tackle from Ohio State. Will Levis, quarterback from Kentucky. Joey Porter Jr., cornerback from Penn State. Anthony Richardson, quarterback from Florida. B. John Robinson, running back from Texas. Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver from Ohio State. C.J. Stroud, quarterback from Ohio State. Keon White, defensive end from Georgia Tech. Tyree Wilson, defensive end from Texas Tech. And Devin Witherspoon, cornerback. From Illinois. So I'll throw the question out there, and I'll kind of I'll switch it up for you. Who will we be talking to that are future Raiders out of those 17 guys, if any? And who's the guy that's going to be sitting in, the, in the, the, the green room the longest? Those are the two questions I'll ask you. And I'll throw it, on, I'll throw it to you first, DeMond, that he's on you. There's a spotlight above you. It's kind of like going to some fast food restaurant. They got you under a heat lamp. You're sweating. It ain't no good, right? You really don't want it, but you got it. So who do you see out of those 17 that you think will be a, a, a future Raider?
0: A future Raider? Uh, that's the tough one there.
1: Well, call it, man. Because call I it. wanted
0: to be Anthony Richardson, but I don't think he's going to be there. So then I'm going to go Tyree Wilson.
1: Tyree Wilson, the young man out of Texas Tech, defensive end. Matter of fact, have locked in for the 19th. That's next Wednesday at 3.30 Pacific time. We'll be talking to his head coach from uh, Texas Tech, Joey McGuire. Got that confirmed earlier today. Tyree Wilson is the one. All right, there you go. Out of those guys. Who do you see as being the one that's in the green room the longest? I'm going Brian Branch. I know people
0: are thinking really? Alabama. Okay, My other, maybe this would be the logic. Was, uh, was he on there? Yeah, Zay Flowers. Maybe that he, he's going to be of the receivers. Maybe he'll be picked last. But for me, Brian Branch, we keep talking about, hey, running back isn't as valuable as more, valuable as, more as it used to be. We hear that same thing about safety. So for me, I do think it'll be uh, what, what position could you get? I do think that he's going to be in the mid-20s. Okay. So he's still going to be a first-round pick, but I ju- I just think it's going to be in the mid twenties.
1: Okay, all right. I see Zay Flowers going off the board pretty early. I think he'll probably be wide receiver number one. Uh, Jack- what
0: I think Nick Jigba's the
1: in Jigba. I think he's the bee's knees. I, I <laughs> mean, it, <laughs> could be. it, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, like no, this He could be. What teams <laughs> he are. Could be. Um, it's uh, obviously it's it's a couple. It's you know there's a few guys to choose from. You could pick in Jigba. You could pick Zay Flowers. You could put uh, my guy out of TCU. Uh, you know Quentin uh, uh, Johnston. He could be him. It uh, could be Jordan Addison out of USC. I mean, there's four different wide receivers uh, that could be the first wide receiver off the board. Uh, for some reason, I just think Zay Flowers is that guy, but that's just me. So I think he'll go off the board kind of quick. Um, man, I'm telling you, I want to say, I don't want to sound like a hater, but I think I think that Will Levis might be long in there longer than we expect. I'm not saying he's going to be the last dude in there, but I think that he could get that Johnny Manziel treatment where he ends up being in there longer than he expects, and they keep going to him, and he's sitting there. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say Will Levis. I'm not like I said, not trying to sound like a hater. I've never been sold on him. I wasn't sold on him from day one. No matter how many times Vegas Pete called us in, told us we're crazy, <laughs> right? I just I never been sold on him. Still not sold on him.
0: Okay, so when you you've been talking, to, hey, you're gonna be talking to some of these guys in the green room. I'm
1: gonna talk to as many as possible. Okay, they're you're not gonna-, gonna. They're all gonna. Make, they're all gonna
0: be available for us. They will. So Will Levis, you gonna?
1: I'll talk to him. Okay. I'm, look, just because I'm not a fan doesn't mean that that I, I'm not gonna do my job. If I Look, if there's 17 out there, I'm going to talk to all 17 if possible, if time permits, right? I mean, I know that it gets a little dicey because you only have like an hour, but I'll try to get as many knocked out as possible. I'll, I'll prioritize some guys. Like Witherspoon will be a guy I prioritize. Christian Gonzalez will be a guy I prioritize. Jalen Carter will be a guy I, pro- I prioritize. Um, yeah,
0: the receivers aren't that Rich- high on the Richardson, priority list. Yeah,
1: Richardson will be a guy I prioritize. Guys that I think that could be potential Raiders, I'll prioritize over – a Jordan Addison or a Zay Flowers. Hell, Zay Flowers was here at the Shrine Bowl. He killed it at the Shrine Bowl when they had the, those practices, man. He, he was really, he was dominating. He's gone through the gauntlet. So, yeah, so wide receiver is not going to be one that I, I focus in on. Bijan Robinson, as great as he is, I'm not going to focus in on him. He's a running back, right? If I get time, oh, sure, I'll talk to him. Last year, it worked out great, right? I had, a, I had an opportunity to talk to just about everybody that was out there on that field when it was right here in Vegas last year. It was actually funny to me. There was only, like, me okay. f- from local radio <laughs> that was actually even there last year. It was, it was unbelievable. I don't know if it was because of the time or what it was, but, man, uh, it, it worked out great, right? There was some people from the TV stations that were there, but for me and, and, and the way I was doing it, it was great. I was like, man, this is fantastic. I'm hoping that it's the same this upcoming year. Then I can get pretty much all 17 of the guys if, if possible. But uh, last year it worked out really well for us, so hopefully the same thing. Um, I might talk to a Paris Johnson. You know, even though I don't think that the Raiders are going to pick him at number seven, but it's always a possibility. So that's another question that we'll throw out there to you: six nine one eight seven keyword R and R. Let's see one text from the seven zero seven. Then we'll take a break. My three traits that I'd add to the list are mostly for defense. I want a quarterback that just oozes swagger and fire. I want him to be talking trash all game and backing it up. Devin Witherspoon. you put him in parentheses. I want guys who can do multiple things well within our system. Play nickel, safety, rush the quarterback, and play the run. Brian Branch, he put in parentheses. And to quote Mike Singletary, I want winners. Ultra-competitive guys who love football, hate losing, will do anything for their teammates. And that's something that Tom Herman said when he took over as the head coach at UT at the Big 12 Media Days. He said, I want guys that hate losing more than they enjoy winning. Like, losing makes them so sick to their stomach that winning is great but they just get that disgusting feeling when they lose because you know that they're going to do everything they can not to have that feeling again. I like that. Great text. That's coming out to 707. 326 is the time. When we come back, we'll talk all things Anthony Richardson with Aaron Wilson, KPRC, Channel 2 in Houston. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.
0: Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Q.
1: Going to ride that out. Bow down when you come to my town. I like that. Unnecessary Roughness Radio, Nation Radio 920. Just talked about the 17 prospects that will be in Kansas City, April 27th in the green room. Excited about that opportunity. Got some texts that we're going to get to as we're efforting Aaron Wilson. Talk all things Anthony Richardson as uh, uh, Aaron put out a piece. Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson knocked the S2 test out of the park, also acing combine workout test so we'll talk to Aaron as soon as he joins the show in a matter of seconds but I've uh, been talking about the guys that are going to uh, be in the room and also the prospects what you're looking for in the first two rounds like what are you looking for as far as characteristics 69187 keyword R&R if you ever want to chime in and and ask a guest that we have a, a question you could do that as well 69187 keyword R&R mailman Raider said Q I agree with DeMond on branch we all thought Merrick was a first rounder think, uh, think he has the same fate and off topic, I'm really interested to see where Bijan goes for my own selfish fantasy football reasons, LOL. That's Mailman Raider. And, yeah, I'll be the first to say I was a big fan of Trayvon Merrick. I still think he has an opportunity. He did really well at TCU. He was able to play multiple roles, so he's got that versatility that I know that Dave Ziegler and company are looking for. But for some reason, it just has not translated onto the next level yet. He played well his rookie year, I thought, but took a step back last year. I don't know if that was due to injury. If that was due to the system, if that was a combination of the both, or just flat out took a step back. I, I, don't, I don't know. So we will see uh, about what he does this upcoming year. But I think this is a really big one for, uh, for one Trayvon Merrick. Uh, also, got a text. Let's see. Here we go. Well, you got? You got something for me over there.
0: Oh, yes, I do. Uh, just uh, had a text exchange with Aaron Wilson. He is uh, caught up at the moment. Oh, okay. Un- unable to join us right now. Okay. So uh, we can get to that Mel Kiper Jr. sound if you want.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. A little uh, on-the-fly producer. I'm, I'm not mad at that. Uh, one text for the 707. This has to do with the conversation we had with Paul Gutierrez a little earlier uh, talking about baseball. He said, I'll never forget the night when Fernando Valenzuela and Dave Stewart both threw no-hitters on the same night because I was watching both on ESPN I remember that back in the day as well and yeah that was a hell of a pitcher man Fernando Valenzuela was fantastic and I don't know how many people tried to emulate how he uh he threw the ball right it looked like he kind of rolled his eyes up in his head when he did it and of course he was a lefty so I mean I obviously couldn't do that but from a righty point of view I tried to do that not a pitcher so I could not do that but uh yeah there you go Dave Stewart was one of my favorite pitchers as well. A lot of fun uh, trying to be Dave Stewart out there playing speed pitch against the driveway back in the day uh, with my buddies. Matter of fact, Garth and and Gray, they've both been on the show before, so those are a couple of my real good buddies. We used to play speed pitch all the time. 3.33 is the time. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we'll turn our attention to the Memphis Grizzlies. Jessica Benson, Grind City Media. She'll join the show, uh, talk all things Grizzlies and Lakers. But as you heard DeMond say, wanting to get to some Mel Kiper Jr. sound. And look, that's how it works out sometimes. You know, we have a guest scheduled, and then all of a sudden something pops up. And, you know, these guests, you have to remember, they do this for free. They just hop on to join the show and and give us a few minutes of their time. And so they do this for free. So when something pops up, we understand it. We just keep it moving. And we'll catch up with Aaron Wilson at some point to talk about Anthony Richardson. But I did want to get to some of these sound bites anyway. And the first one is really an important one because I think that this has come a long way in the past few years. And that's the mental side of the draft evaluation. We know about the physicality. We know how high a guy could jump, how fast he could run. We know his arm length, his high, all that stuff, right? We know all the physicality. But what about the mental side of the draft evaluation? Then there's going to be a quick follow-up as well. I thought this was a really good question and a great answer from Mel. So here it is, uh, how important the, the mental side of things are when it comes to the draft evaluation.
2: Yeah, everybody's always looked at every aspect of a player. I mean, I even go back when I started in the late 70s, it was always – <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, you know everybody did their due diligence. Everybody looked at every aspect. You talked to high school coaches. You talked to every college coach. Talked to everybody about around that player. That anything you can find. That was your job. Is the to, to, to basically that was a scout's job uh, to be out there doing all of that work, all of that research on every player. That's why everybody team to team. All the evaluations are different. That's why doing mock drafts is so hard because everybody's opinions are different. Somebody does, they're not high on a guy. Other teams are very high on that player. So that's why you're, what I try to do is step back at some point from the mock draft and say, okay, what do I think? You you know, I'm, when when I put my name on those ratings, that's my opinion. So I have to go, at the end of the day, you hear a million things, you see a million things, as you look at games from their freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. So you're looking at a lot of different uh, variations of players when they were hurt, when they were healthy, different systems, different coaches, and you got to try to put it all together. And It's not easy. This is not an exact science. No matter what you do, no matter how much technology you have at your disposal, no matter how many draft systems or philosophies you have or algorithms you have or whatever you have, it's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be mistakes made. I bring up the Chiefs all the time. If the Chiefs would have taken, uh, Paxton, been able to trade for Paxton Lynch, they wouldn't have drafted Patrick Mahomes. They wouldn't have traded down that year and gotten Chris Jones. So had a move, one move been made where they would have gotten Paxton Lynch in a trade, which they didn't work out, Denver did it instead of them, they wouldn't have had Chris Jones. They wouldn't have had Patrick Mahomes. So there you go. It's just that Just one little instance, one little move can impact your future of your entire football team. So that's how fragile the draft is in terms of these evaluations and these decisions are made it's been like that since i started in the late 70s and then just a quick follow-up i was curious is there anything that you've seen or heard from teams that they've maybe done differently in the last few years or so to help guys mentally uh transition to the nfl a little bit easier rather than you know what, what we saw from a few years ago well, there's not an, there's no easy way. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not the NFL. We can talk about how great the SEC is. It's not the NFL. I always saw that there's a lot of AOGs in college and other occupation guys. And that's who you're working against guys that are, you get in the NFL. It's a huge mental adjustment. It's a physical adjustment. It's a mental adjustment. A lot of guys get kind of kicked to the curb early because they can't handle it. Uh, it. It's just too much. And they got to, we talk about it, everybody loves football, but what's the degree of love? There's got to be a, you got to be at a 10 when you get in the NFL. You got to love the grind, the grind of football. What you got to do during the offseason. That that you know, it's not just about once you get the money, how does your love of the game drop back a little bit? Now you've gotten the goal of being an NFL player. You still got to grind because this is the best in the world playing in the NFL. And these kids sometimes just don't realize that until it's too late. And you got to keep trying to get better. What worked in college won't work in the NFL. So, to your point about the mental side of it's huge. And teams have to obviously hope that you get players that can handle that pressure and the expectations that come along with being an NFL player. So that's all part of it. So every, that, that, you got you to evaluate players. I've always said in totality, that mental part of it is huge.
1: There's Mel Kiper Jr. right there breaking down the mental side of the draft evaluation and how teams could even help players transition. And you mentioned it earlier in the show, DeMond, like some guys just can't come in as a 19, 20, 21-year-old and all of a sudden understand what it's like to be a pro, understand what it's like to not have to worry about class, just go and actually go to your job and be self-starters. And uh, that's all part of the mental makeup. And so you've got to have a really strong locker room, not for just certain guys, but really for everybody as far as I'm concerned
0: everybody i know that you're not a big fan of the show but for me that's why I love to watch hard knocks because yeah, I'm not it is a big fan because it is just like those in between things those things that you get to see behind the scenes of hey I'm a rookie or if a guy is late we're in college maybe you can get away with that but in the NFL this is your job right and that is a big adjustment and I don't know how excuse me I have a coffee drop in my mouth. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how teams are able to balance that. Do you, when you go talk to the coaches, is that some of the questions that you ask? How many meetings did this guy miss in his four years here? Or you talking to the teammates because those are the things that where some guys get burnt out not because we everybody can run, everybody can jump, but who does have that that mental fortitude to be able to stick around? Because I. I can't imagine being in the NFL. The pressure, all of the homework, uh, where you're around these guys more than your family. That's a lot to ask from someone that's 20, 21 years old.
1: Well, I'll tell you right now, I mean, look. Look what the Arizona Cardinals did with Kyler Murray. I mean, they put in his clause that he's got to study a certain amount of time on his own. And, of course, they took that out. They probably should have never let us know that that was in there. That was on them, but they did that for a reason. Don't think that that was an accident. They put it out there because, well, they were tired of his terrible work ethic, right? He was just basically going off his God-given ability, and I'll tell you this, what I know about Kyler Murray going back even to high school, at Allen High School, the dude is phenomenal, right? He's got so much God-given ability that he didn't have to work so hard. You know, he just kind of went out there and did it. Well, on the next level, everyone's got God-given ability. Everyone's fantastic. Everyone's great. So if you're going to take your game to the next level, you've got to be able to put in the work. And so what they were basically saying is, yeah, he's not putting in the work. So they wanted him to put some more in as they gave him that contract. Me, I don't think it was a smart decision to give him that contract. That's just me. I think that they should have you know, seen a little bit more from him. Of course, he's coming off the ACL now, so who knows when he's going to actually get back on the field. I don't expect it to be this upcoming year. I feel like they're pretty much going to redshirt him, but again, we'll see when he gets out there. But that mental side of thing, man, and, and being able to be responsible and just go out there and know that, you know, hey, this is my job and this is what I have to do, even if there's not someone on top of me saying, hey, go do this now, go do this now, go study now. You just got to know that you've got to know your playbook, you've got to know what you're supposed to be doing, whatever your position is and you'll be out to execute it at a high level. He's DeMond Cotton. I'm Q Myers. This is Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Uh, some more breakdowns from Mel Kuiper Jr. from ESPN, his pre-draft conference call he had just the other day. How about the movement in the back end of round one? I've said before multiple times. Matter of fact, I think I started saying it yesterday. For some reason, gut feeling tells me that the Raiders are going to pick twice in the first round. I just have that feeling for some reason with all the draft picks that they have, the draft capital, 12 of them right now, they're going to find a way to package a couple. And then, uh, you know, get back into the back end of the second round or the first round, especially if there's someone that they're really looking at that they want to target. That's why they'd make the move is because they're trying to target someone. So here's Mel on how much movement he expects to see at the back end of round one.
2: Possibly. I had the Hendon Hooker trade for that reason, get that fifth year option on Hendon Hooker at Seattle could be. Minnesota, they just didn't have a don't have a second round pick, so that kind of hurt me in terms of thinking that they could maybe make that move, maybe a one next year if they want to do that. So there's ways to get around not having a two if you really want to get a guy like Hooker in the late first. Um, there's certainly a chance Baltimore, as we discussed, always likes to trade down. GM Eric DaCosta you know, to pick up a, a two which they don't have, uh, and the Roquan Smith trade, they lost that two, so they could move off a of twenty-two, move down, and still get. A D.J. Turner, say, from Michigan, who was coached by at Michigan, their defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. So trades like that could happen. Um, Yeah, I had Pittsburgh taking a receiver. They haven't taken a receiver since 06. uh, But if they go corner there or or if they want a receiver, maybe they trade down or they take a corner. If they feel, hey, we haven't taken a receiver since 06, we're going to go corner, that could affect them a little bit because then they say if they want a receiver, they could move down and still get a pretty good one. Um, I think Seattle at 20, they already make a pick at five. They could move off of 20 and move down possibly. Um, you could see, like I say, teams like Philadelphia, like I have them moving out of the first round. Certainly Kansas City, New Orleans, any of those teams at the end of the first round could move out for a team looking to move in and get either a guy that slid further than they expected or that quarterback. And to go to your question about trades, it, it, there's so much mixed opinion. There's not a lot of guys with first round grades. I mean, you get down to 15. Guys. So when you get into the late first, you don't have a first round grade on a player. Teams will want out. And somebody's always going to be high on a guy that slides down a little bit. They have a different, they have a higher grade on than the other teams do. That They may want to go up and get. So in a, in a draft like this, which it's not a really strong draft. And, you know, it's one of those drafts where you got to really pick your spots, count on your evaluators, your scouts to really line these guys up properly. Uh, I said a couple of months ago if you get a, if you have three years from now, you get an A or A plus grade or a B plus grade, you should give your scouts a raise because this is a draft where you're going to earn your money. Uh, this is a tough draft to evaluate. A lot of mixed opinion. A lot of players are tough to evaluate. So, because of that, to answer your question, I would expect some maybe two or three trades between, say, 18 and 31.
1: You know, and the thing about it is last season there was a lot of of trades, a lot of movement at the back end of uh, round one. And, you know, I found that to be pretty interesting, DeMond, what Mel had to say about, you know, this is a tough draft to evaluate, right? I mean, that it's not really uh, the greatest draft. And and I feel like it's a pretty deep draft, but what it sounds like is he doesn't believe that there's just, you know, exceptional players and exceptional talent. It kind of feels like it's more of, I don't want to say they're all in the the same bunch, but it's not really tears to it, at least what it sounds like what he was trying to say there.
0: What it sounds like to me, where even if it has that depth, it sounds like he's saying that there's also a lot of misses that could be in this first round as well, where he mm-hmm. says that, hey, you, you, if you guys, what was it, A or Bs, give those guys a raise right. if they're just that sure on these guys. Because to me, that makes it sound like ah, maybe the first round isn't as, let's say, lucrative as we as we thought, or at least according to Mel Kuiper Jr. Because you keep saying, hey, maybe the Raiders trade back into the first round. At first I was thinking might be too rich, but maybe the cost might not be as rich as
1: we think it's going to be. Right. That's so what it sounds like, right? It's what it kind of feels like. And maybe that's when I started getting that feeling. Uh, and again, this is from nothing. This is just a, a gut feeling. I just think with all that draft capital, I'm a firm believer. And I know we've had people call in and say, uh, you don't know that they're not going to use all 12 picks. No, I I, I really firmly believe they're not going to use all 12. That's unrealistic numbers. You don't need 12 draft picks. So this is why they have the opportunity to package those picks and move around and be more selective on who they get. One final soundbite that we'll take a break, and this has to do with your Tennessee Titans and the fact that in the mock draft that Mel put out, the latest one, he had them moving from 11 to 3. And that's something I've talked about, that I think that they're a team to watch out for moving up to number 3 to go get that quarterback. So the question he was asked, was that a hunch, or did that come from Intel?
2: Well, the only real Intel you have now, because nobody's going to tell you what they're doing in the league. There's there's nobody in this league telling anybody what they're doing. Um, You just hear Arizona moving out. Uh, that's pretty much up for sale, that third pick. So once we knew that's up for sale, I've always had them moving out, I had them moving from three to four. But then you hear, well, Indy may stick it four. Well, if that's the case, who's had an interest in Anthony Richardson? Yeah, And Tennessee, he had a visit to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has Tannehill for one more year. Malik Willis, you don't know what he's going to develop into. You basically get a better version of Malik Willis. And Anthony Richardson is a run guy who's got to improve as a passer, but he's big, he's got a rocket arm. Uh, he's, I think a guy who could be spectacular in the NFL if his accuracy improves. He'll immediately be one of the top three to four running quarterbacks in the National Football League. Maybe even eventually be the best running quarterback in the NFL. So with that in mind, with that kind of upside, if you can go from 11 to, to 3 and get him, uh, yeah, why not? Uh, especially for a team that has the bridge quarterback already available, which is important. With only 13 career starts and Anthony Richardson being a raw developmental talent, You need to have a quarterback in place for this year. And they had that with Tannehill.
1: You know, the only thing that makes me nervous about what Mel had to say about Anthony Richardson was he could be the best running quarterback. I don't want the best running quarterback. I want the best quarterback that could run. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's and, and Lamar Jackson, I think is a perfect example. He's a quarterback that could run. He's not a guy that's, and some will put him as a running quarterback just because he's dynamic that way. But if you look at the numbers and you know it, we've broken them down. The dude could throw, he could throw touchdown passes. He's done it. There was a reason why he was a league MVP. I don't want the best running quarterback. I don't want a guy that you know is not going to get you third and eight or third and nine when he's got to make a pass. It's like, well, he'll probably try to run for it, right? I mean, you don't want to have that guy. You want to have a guy that you believe can make that pass. Can Anthony Richardson mature into being that guy? Or is it going to be what Mel just said? The best running quarterback in the league. He's a better – what do he you say? He's a better Malik Willis. Malik Willis ain't worth a damn. The Titans lost games last year because Malik Willis was the quarterback. They should have beat Kansas City, but they couldn't throw a pass from here to you. Right? And we're in the same room. They could not complete, he could not complete a pass <laughs> from me to you. He was bouncing the ball like he was a, you know, a second baseman, a shortstop, trying to get it to first. Not going to work. 347 is the time. That's some sounds from Mel Kiper. We'd love to hear from you at 702-365-9200 and the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword r Before we take a break, though, I do want to ask for call number nine real quick. Going to hook you up with a pair of tickets to the battle for Vegas. It's the fourth year, four years long, four years strong, the Golden Knights and the Raiders. The game goes down July 22nd at a 7.30 at the Las Vegas Ballpark. They got the Home Run Derby at around 6.30. Gates will open up at 5.30. We're going to get you in the building a pair of tickets right now. They don't even go on sale till Monday. You're going to get your pa- a pair of tickets right now. Call number 9702-365-9200. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.
0: Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. On Raider Nation
1: Radio. Big shout out to my guy David as we kick off, well, almost kick off hour number three. He's going to see the battle for Vegas, Golden Knights for the Raiders. July 22nd, Las Vegas Ballpark, downtown Summerlin. Great place to go. Great venue. Definitely want to check it out. But David's going. Tickets go on sale on Monday at TickerMaster.com. Make sure you check that out. Of course, here on Raider Nation Radio and the rest of our sister stations here in the building will be giving out tickets as well. We should have some Raiders on to talk about it once the rosters are complete and we figure out who's even playing. Last year, Josh Jacobs was a, was a captain. The year before that, Marcus Allen was a captain. Uh, and I wasn't here the year before that when they did the first game, but this will be the fourth game. So uh, we'll see who's going to be on the roster and who's going to be uh, out there playing. But it's always a good time, excited about that opportunity. Coming up as we kick off hour number three, we're going to be talking all things Memphis Grizzlies with Jessica Benson from Grind City Media, Jessica Benson's show. She'll talk about DeMond's Memphis Grizzlies. That's
0: right, future NBA champs.
1: When 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 are they going to do that? This year,
0: another 2023. Let me is, check my calendar. This
1: is not the year. This is not the year, dude.
0: Who's stopping him? Josh said we ain't scared nobody in the West.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then he went on a hyenas, and then he started going into the club and doing all kind of crazy things and putting stuff on Instagram. So yeah, he's
0: countersuing that kid too.
1: No, that's the kid that he punched. That wasn't the one. That wasn't. He's not countersuing anyone that he was in the club showing a gun. I'm, with. I'm just. I'm saying. So I mean, that kid better lawyer up. All right. Well, I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. That that no, that bothers me. What bothers me is, is, you know, him just not being able to stay out of his own way. Fantastic talent, but got to stay out of his own way and, and make sure his daddy's not running things for him, right? Tell his dad to fall back just a little. It's okay to be a big fan of your son, but just fall back just a little. You know, you ain't got to fight his fights for him. Just go ahead and, you know, you, Shannon Sharp is not a guy he should probably be running up on anymore. He didn't want to smoke. Uh, I, I don't think he did, actually. <laughs> Shannon Sharp's got too much to lose. He really don't want that either. Hell, he had to go on his TV show. Didn't he apologize? I know he put an apology out on Twitter or something. So he can't be doing that. As we uh, close out hour number one, I did or hour number two. Excuse me, I did want to get to this text from Jim and Yonkers on our don'tbebroke.com text line six nine one eight seven keyword R and R talking about the upcoming draft that kicks off April twenty seventh. He said, "I feel like we're going to trade into the end of the first round too. I just don't want to skip the second round. Would a third and a fifth get us back into the second? Thank you. That is from Jim and Yonkers, and I'm not sure. It depends on at what point in the draft, right? I think you'd have to give up your round two pick initially, obviously, right? But, you know, the Raiders right now, they have pick 7, 38, 70, 100, 109. Five picks in the top 109 picks is good. That's, that's really good. And so that's why I think that they can use that pick 38 and maybe, maybe even use that pick, seven, uh, not 70, 100 uh, to get into the, the tail end of back of round one, depending on who's there. Right. I mean, DeMond, you kind of brought that maybe the price of business won't be as high as we all think it is just because, you know, the the draft isn't isn't as. It's not as not needy, but the the talent isn't so large that you feel like that they're giving up a whole lot. Maybe that's maybe that's the best way to put it. So I'm not too sure, Jim, exactly how it's going to play out. I think the, the biggest key to it will be exactly what the numbers look like. How high are they trying to trade? Are they going from 38 to 28? Are they going from 38 to 23, right? I mean, there's a big difference it, it, depending on where they're trying to go. So I think that they'll try to do similar like the Baltimore Ravens did when they got the last pick in the first round and got Lamar Jackson. I think that's where the, the area that they'll hover around, like 28, 29, 30, something like that. That's where I think that that second pick's going to come in. But that's just, again, that's just my gut feeling. So that's moving up from like 38 to 30. That's still pretty high. So you can keep that feedback coming, 69187, keyword R&R. A couple questions that we thrown out there. What characteristics should Dave Ziegler and company look for in their early round picks? I threw out the answers, alpha dog mentality, playmaking ability, and intelligence as far as situational football goes. But what says you? Again, 69187, keyword R&R. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.